everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Vodka O'Clock Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Love from AmberOnMass.com. Thank you to the kind supporters over at Patreon. You can be one of them. Go to Patreon.com slash They get things like these episodes and my weekly cat detective stories before anyone else. So joining me today is an old friend from my early comic youth um, from uh, and we're we're you know on east and west coasts now so um jim i'm gonna let you say your last name so i don't butcher it uh jim demonacos demonacos see and it looks i said it looks like demon um at the beginning and it's absolutely perfect for most of what we're going to talk about today which is hellboy <laughs> it's true everybody's favorite demon in comics right I, uh, yeah, I have a hard time arguing that there's a, there's very few other real popular demons, unless we're talking maybe about, uh, uh, Jack Kirby's demon from DC Comics, who, uh, holds a special place in my heart as well as like a good rhyming, uh, character. But outside of that, yeah, I think Hellboy is about the most, uh, most well-known and well-loved of the, uh, of the demon comic book characters. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So now, you know, so you have this, this wonderful link to that. And um, the reason that I couldn't wait to get in touch with Jim was seeing this press release about the Kickstarter for uh, he's making a documentary with a a friend of his, and we're going to talk all about it. And it's going to be about Mike McNola, Hellboy's creator. And uh, you know, it's just going to get all sorts of crazy pants because we haven't talked to each other in years uh, because of conventions and the pandemic and, and all that stuff. So, um, Jim, my goodness. Hi. Hello. <laughs> it's been so long. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So um, let's just give a little recap about uh, who you are. I mean, I know you from Kirby Crackle and... Um, you know, and of course, through our friends at CGS, Comic Geek Speak, yep. and, uh, you know, c- catching you guys at, at conventions and everything. So, um, but you also, you're, you started Emerald City. So I want to hear about that because I don't, I can't imagine what it's like starting a comic book convention and one that's been <laughs> so successful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely part of like, my not so secret origin story is um back in 2000 i guess it started you know like just to start early is um you know i I grew up reading comics i've read comics uh, i still read comics you know like my whole life so um early on i uh after college i decided that um it would be fun it would be interesting to like open a comic book store and maybe become a retailer and so um, I thought you know might as well take this college debt and make it worse and so (laughs) why not um, yeah and let me open a comic book store that's not going to make any money for two years Um, so I did that and uh, it was actually very very satisfying it's very cool to to open a store and I'd always been of the mind that like you know, I would always have to go to multiple stores because, you know, like this store didn't carry. And, you know, I mean, keep keep in mind, this is like 
1999, 2000. So much different landscape than it is now, but um, it would be, I'd have to, this one, this one shop like literally would not carry trade paperbacks. And this other shop did not carry um, any kind of merchandise or anything, you know, they are strictly single issues. And <clears throat> so kind of like, not, not that it was like some genius idea, but I'm like, what if you could have a comic book store that had all of these things? And right. <laughs> that's sort of how um, my first store started was like, let me just make the, let me make the shop that I want to shop at. And I think that's been like the underlying current of all the things I've done throughout the years is like, well, this doesn't really exist and, or I want this thing for me. And I'm like, I feel like I'm pretty, uh, pretty, how do I put it? I'm just like a regular dude. And if I do this, maybe other people will be interested in it as well. And that's how the shop started. And then after a couple of years of doing the shop, we actually opened an, a second store and we eventually had four stores and it was pretty, pretty cool. Um, but after a couple of years, I was like, you know, I'd been traveling to a few conventions. I'd gone to San Diego and uh, at the time, Wizard World Chicago and a few other shows. And I would come back to Seattle and we just didn't have anything like that. We had, you know, kind of what amounted to like a church basement type of show. And so I was like, you know, I bet you there could just be like a better show here. And I would always buy a table at the show for the shop so that we could sell like quarter bin comics and just excess merchandise. And, you know, I got to know all the other shop owners and we would chat and they were just like, man, it would be great if we had like another option, another show. And so at a certain point, like it was pretty clear that like no one else was going to do it. And so um, I just was like, well, why, why don't, why don't I just do it? You know? And so I went to all the retailers that were there. It was like, well, this is your chance, you know, like, you can't, you can't complain if you don't sign up for my show because you're complaining that there's no other event, but I'm going to do one. So I need you to, to come in on it. Otherwise, you know, otherwise you'll have nothing to complain about. And so, <laughs> um, and so everyone signed up and that was sort of the, the birth of Emerald City Comic Con back in 2003. You know, it's crazy to think like the first... Emerald City had 2,500 attendees. Um, and then by the time I left Emerald City, we were over 90,000. So it was a pretty, is pretty crazy decade plus that, I mean, it was like 15 years actually that I was uh, doing Emerald City. So um, so yeah, so I did Emerald City for, for a, a good long time. Uh, while that was happening, I also... Um, started a nerd rock band with my friend Kyle and he was the singer and co-songwriter and I was the songwriter. So I always joked that I was basically the, the Bernie Toppin to his Elton John. Um, <laughs> although, and, and so, you know, like it was always fun to, to do that. And that's how we met, you know, was going to conventions and, and meeting all kinds of people and touring with Kirby Crackle. And so I did that. Um, I eventually 
in the in the meantime, I also I, I spent a year and a half working for Image Comics as their PR and marketing person, and then I also um, wrote a New York Times bestselling graphic novel with uh, Nate Powell, who went on to do March with uh, uh, with John Lewis and Andrew Aiden, which won the National Book Award. I'm very proud of having been able to collaborate with someone who has gone on to such amazing success. Um, and then after that, I, um, after I stopped working specifically on uh, Emerald City, I started working for Reed Pop, who took over Emerald City, and I worked on all their conventions, uh, Star Wars Celebration, New York Comic Con, uh, Paris Comic Con, C2E2, you name it, uh, working across all of their events. Um, and then eventually I also started another event of my own after I left Reed Pop called Lightbox Expo, which we did in Pasadena in 2019 and had to move online thanks to the pandemic. And then during 2019, I had also started working on a documentary film project about Mike Mignola, the creator of Hellboy. And uh, we'd been working on that for, for a while, and then the pandemic uh, gave it a, a big pause. And then now we're back, um, kind of obviously we're still in the pandemic, but we're getting near to a place where we could start uh, to go out and do more filming. So we brought the project to Kickstarter because we'd been um, financing it out of our own pocket until now and wanted to get some support so that we could finish the project, do some more filming, hire like a professional editor, color grading, uh, sound design, editor, uh, you name it. And uh, here we are today. Yeah, that's and and that that's exactly what I wanted to to talk to you about. So you, you t touched on several of the points that, that I had outlined anyway. Um, you know the the pandemic put a stop to conventions, um, and some have tried to exist in in the year that we, we are now. Now that people know safety precautions to take i mean obviously last year it was just like go in your house lock the door don't come out um so we're in a different sort of situation for this year and i know my local show actually did have a show and i and i didn't go um i didn't think it was a great idea yet so um people are trying to get used to whatever you know the protocols are and, and keep working I mean I've haven't even been able to get back to you know to the gym and, and the yoga studio very successfully but right. um you know it's kind of a, a mess still so when you, I did want to know and you said that you were you know independently funding the the documentary originally mm -hmm. um that's when you what is the background as to why you wanted to make a documentary in the first place and and the fact that it's potentially going to be a series it sounds like it could be you know for you know you picked mike mignola as the first subject um so it, you know explain your relationship with kevin and you know why this even is happening <laughs> um well so 
first off with Kevin, uh, who's my co-director and co-producer on this film. Uh, we've known each other for, um, good gracious, uh, probably 15 plus years. Um, he actually, he, he had a table at the very first Emerald City Comic Con back in 2003. And that's actually how we first met is he was kind of in the local comic book scene. Uh, and we, uh, we got to know each other and then sort of on and off throughout the years, we've, we've worked on several projects together. Um, just uh, what's funny is like none of them that have really ever come to fruition, like we would come together, we both had an idea or he had something or I had something and then we'd work on it. And then for whatever reason, just, you know, cause not everything works out. Um, things were just like, you know what? This project isn't, isn't working out or, um, and, and a lot of times it was mostly like third party problems. And by that, I mean, um, we weren't doing a project that we had created ourselves. We instead were just uh, trying to do a project that someone had hired us for. And in a weird way, that's actually like one of the reasons of how this has come together is that we just took control and did it all ourselves versus um, this isn't someone else's idea that we're trying to execute, which like I said, tended to be the problem uh, that we had when whenever we came together. So uh, fast forward to just, you know, it's like mid 2019 and we're just getting together for to catch up uh, over burgers. And we started chatting about like, Kind of stuff we're interested in and um just other projects that maybe we could work on and um kevin was like you know i've been thinking about this like documentary idea you know um about like really focusing on the creators and you know like and that's always been such a big part of my mission when it came to uh like emerald city as well as like you know the, the whole reason that we're in this industry is because of these creators so you know, wouldn't it be great if we actually like shown a spotlight um, onto them? And so that's very much how um, how this project started. It was kind of like, I basically was like, well, I'm, I'm already sold. Like, if you, if you want me in, I'm in. And he's like, yep, that's one of the reasons that we're even talking. So I was like, perfect. And that's, that was the genesis of the project in terms of how we came up with the idea. It was like, Kevin, Kevin had the, had the basis. And then we just spent a long time figuring out like, okay, what does it look like? And then once we answered, like, what does it look like? It was, okay, so who, who will be our first subject? And um, we, we settled on Mike Mignola, uh, both because uh, we're, we're fans first, uh, but also he's done a lot of things that like no one else in comics has done, you know, specifically in like creating his, in, like this entire universe uh, outside of like Marvel and DC is about one of the only creators who's ever done something to that level. And we were like, you know what, Mike would be like the perfect person to, um, to kind of kick off this, this series with. And so once we settled on that, it was a matter of like reaching out to Mike and being like, Hey, so, and, and Mike's not the kind of person who's really looking for attention. 
You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. He's always said himself. <laughs> he's like, I'm just, I just want to make my comics. Like, I just, that's what I want to do. He's like, the movies are great and all this other stuff is great. But at the end of the day, I just really want to make, um, I just want to make comics. And so it, it wasn't necessarily like a hard sell, but it wasn't like he was like, yes, I am a hundred percent enthusiastic about doing a documentary about me. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but you know, we, we did a lot of work to show that we were interested in his story and not, Hey, isn't it neat that they made a movie? Because, you know, he said himself during one of our first interviews too, that he's like, sometimes I wish that I could, uh, that like my 16 year old self could be here instead of me to be excited about the movies, to be excited about, you know, uh, going to a premiere or whatever. And he's like, for him, he's like, I think it's fun. And I think it's very cool. But he's like, my Hellboy still lives in the, you know, like in the pages of the comic book, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, so he, and he's just, he is, he's just like that. He's, yep. And and he, and that attitude has, has kind of, is obviously one of the reasons that he's also been really successful is because he, his, his entire focus has always been on, on the comics and on that world versus you know, he didn't, he didn't make a giant red demon to be like, this is going to be a movie franchise, <laughs> you know, right. like that's, that's clearly not his motivation, nor had it ever been. And so, um, so yeah, it was really cool to, to be able to sit down with him and have him kind of outline all that, but to sort of answer, to actually answer your question, that's, that's how this came about. And, um, and then that's how we chose Mike to, to be the the initial uh, subject. So from a, a history point of view, um, I read that Kevin comes from an animation background mm -hmm. and, you know, you come from all of these other realms of the entertainment world, but what made you, what, you know, think, okay, we're going to just buy a camera and a couple of microphones and we're going to contact people like Neil Gaiman and, I don't know, fly around the world. <laughs> like, this is a yeah. big project. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think it's just, and, and, I, and I'm not being, I don't know. It, it's just, it's, it's just how I am, I guess. It's just, I mean, for so many people spend so much of their time and their life, like just, waiting for permission to do things. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah, I absolutely know what you mean. And I've been self-employed since I was 22. And, you know, whether that's the comic shop or even before that, I was a freelance, uh, freelance web designer, you know, like before I started in the, the shop. And it's like, it's not like I had any retail experience. I mean, I grew up in a restaurant, which, you know, definitely is its own type of, of retail. Um, but, you know, food service and retail are, two, are still two separate things. So it's not like I had any experience in doing that. It's just sort of like there's this part of me that is just wired to be like, yeah, but like I could just figure it out, you know, and it's not like I went in blind either, right? Like, you know, part of my partnership with, Kevin is that Kevin is a director. He has directed before. Um, and so 
I could learn from him and I could, you know, have him do some heavy lifting at the get go and say, listen, like I'm here to learn. Uh, I'm going to bring a lot of other things to this project. I'm going to bring a, a really deep Rolodex and a, um, I also like that we still use the word Rolodex, even though like, I yes. don't think anybody even has a Rolodex <laughs> these days. But, um, it's your contacts, kids. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Not that um, kids would be listening to this show. <laughs> if, you, if you're under 40, then right. I call you kid. Um, and and so I just think it, it, it followed in a weird way. It just has followed like my natural progression of just like, I didn't know, I didn't know how to do a comic book store. And so one of my partners used to work in a comic book store. So I, 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 you make these decisions and you also try to work with people who have the relevant experience. And then on top of that, for example, like with, I mean, as a, as a good example with Emerald city, it was just like, I've been to conventions. Well, I can figure this out. Like <laughs> I, I didn't go to like convention school. Like, uh, you know, I don't have a, uh, um event planning you, degree or yeah like yeah. yeah anything like that it's just sort of like yeah I can figure this out and I, I just think that attitude has uh permeated throughout everything I've done and not everything has worked out like you know I, I've done a few things that and I don't talk about them like specifically but like you know there's definitely failures in the middle of these successes and those those inform you just as much as you know all the things that you do that go right and that's great. But at the end of the day, I was uh, kind of circling back to this project. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm teaming up with someone who does know what he's doing. I am like, I am smart enough to figure this stuff out and also learn. And I think even more, I think where I feel like I'm actually smart is to know where I don't know things. Um, I, I've never gone into somewhere to say, I am an expert, you know, like I know exactly everything. Instead, I'm like, well, I don't know anything or I, I know very little. Let me learn from people who do know and let me just try to make something that is the thing that I would want. And that kind of like we talked about very early on, it's like the, this goes back to even this. It's like, this is the kind of documentary I want to watch. And so I'm going to make it because no one else is making it. And this, you know, I've looked, um, obviously I've backed Kickstarters for, for comics before, and um, it, it's a wonderful way to, for people who are looking for an independent platform to get things done. And, you know, it's just, really opened the doors what we have now versus like you said in the 90s what was out there and um the life was just different you know mm -hmm. like to think of how now there's like web comics like you know podcasts like everybody has a podcast i remember teaching myself when the word wasn't even in the lexicon yet i was like do i need to have an ipod to run an <laughs> a podcast and um it you know it was wild back then so I, yeah um but kickstarter i've looked at i mean even just looking at your your funding your goal 
was 58 grand and mm -hmm. you have like far and above i mean i just i have the browser open and it just keeps updating the amount like every 30 seconds it spins like a um what do you call that uh the jackpot like a jackpot yeah there's like, yeah, uh, like a slot machine there we go slot, slot machine. machine thank you um and it's just like it's so funny because i'm like it, you know like we're at a telethon we're like where are we now um <laughs> So you're almost at 262,000. You're like just bucks away from 262,000. Yeah. And um and as you said, you had great contacts because of, you know, the life that you had being a retailer first of all, creators, oh, you know, love their retailers. Mm -hmm. And uh the publishing companies love the retailers. It's, you know, but definitely when you put on a convention, you definitely come across, um, for those of you, if you really haven't gone to the big shows, it's, there's still a divide. And, and I, I follow Jimmy Palmiotti on Twitter. His Twitter is a delight. You can learn so much. And he's just mm -hmm. a great guy. Um, but that there's such a divide between Hollywood comic people you know, or hot, you know, comic adjacent people like the movies and, uh, you know, and creators like in Artist Alley. Um, it, so how do you, how do you, like the, the people that you have involved in the documentary, um, let's see if I can find the right page. Um, you've got this diverse, um, uh, cast of people that you'll be interviewing or that you did interview already um, right so it's are. a it's a combination right like so some of those people we have talked to some we haven't everybody who's listed is committed to be interviewed if if we haven't interviewed them already okay and so what i love is the like I said, the diverse backgrounds of the people that want to put in their two cents of the Hellboy universe and the fact that, I mean, cause I, I mean, I don't know at this point, I mean, Dark Horse has been the publisher for, for Hellboy forever, but, um, so I don't really know what the rights deals are for, for anything about it. Um, but it's just synonymous with, you know, the creator, Mike Mignola. So, um, very few other people have been allowed to even play in the BPRD Hellboy universe. And so with so few people like being able to, to do something in it, all the rest are fans, you know, it's like, they're just fanboys, you know, like you have, um, Adam Savage you have on here and Christopher Golden and, uh, like, you know, Rebecca Sugar, these are like, people are just hog wild for something so unique and lovable. Of course, Hellboy is, you know, here in New Jersey, right? So sort of <laughs> in Newark. Um, so I'm partial to, you know, I love that, that they put the, they even set the movie like there. I was like, this is hilarious. Um <laughs> And I hadn't been exposed to Hellboy before the first movie because I remember asking somebody if it was scary because it looked really scary to me. 
Sure. And and they're like, no, no, it's it's awesome. And I'm like, okay, because he looks pretty scary. And it's Ron Perlman. You can look like, you know, <laughs> like, what the hell they do? They do everything to him. But um, but it was just this. It's like, yeah, it's it's scary and it's this dark world and everything. But at the same time, it's just joyful. You know, it's like it, it's like demonic My Little Ponies, if you will. It's like how can <laughs> this group of friends with all these different, um, you know, talents come together? And they have to fight a bad guy or whatever. Um, right. And, you know, sh- you should always punch Nazis. We learn these things from characters like Hellboy. Um, and I love that I was just watching, re- been rewatching Criminal Minds and Doug Jones was in it. And I saw the name come up in the in the opening credits. And I'm like, Doug Jones, that can't be the same Doug Jones. Like, this is Criminal Minds. Like, what is it going to be like? <laughs> you know, is it going to be like set on a Hollywood set? Like, what is it going to be? And he played a human. Right. I was it's, like, what the hell? It's so, uh, so unusual to see him without every type of makeup on. Yes. Like, I mean, like to see his real skin <laughs> and his real, you know, musculature. It's like, because I, I, I love uh, the new Star Trek Discovery. So, um, and he's Saru. Yeah. Saru is um, great. I love that. Saru's love a that great, such a delightful character. I mean, he's like... You know, he's like so emotional, and you know, I, I was just I could go on about Doug Jones for forever. So let's, you know, when you're reaching out to this, what are you doing? Are you like going to IMDb, finding out who people's agents are? <laughs> you know, how are you how are you doing this? Uh, yeah, I mean, weirdly, that's actually exactly what we did for for most of the. You know, there's obviously the people that we have connections to, um, and uh, like I know a lot of these people through various means. Um, but for the people that we don't know, uh, yeah, that's exactly what we did. Is like literally just like you know, there's I there's a thing called IMDb Pro, which you have to pay for, um, yes. and it's just the sort of like extra level of IMDb, but. For anybody who lists it, you can put your agent on there or your, you know, manager or whoever. And honestly, all we do is uh, just pop on there and find the people that we want to talk to. And if we don't have any other way of getting in touch with them, we use IMDB Pro and then we email their agents. And sometimes they get back to us and sometimes they don't. And that's just life and that's fine. But um yeah, that's very much, uh, you kind of nailed it on the head. Um, that's, that's how we, um, that's how we reach out to those that we don't have any direct connect with. And so, um, and just in terms of finding who we're doing, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, having been in the industry long enough to know who is a Hellboy fan, to know who has, talked about Hellboy in the past and um, and talked about him online or talked about him in interviews and, you know, just let's call it like a bit of institutional knowledge of just like, oh yeah, hey, isn't this person like, didn't they say they were a big fan? And didn't they say that like this character or this thing they did was influenced? Oh, okay, let's, let's look it up and make sure that, you know, we're, we're remembering correctly, basically. And then we would try to find sort of like, 
something to corroborate our brains, which were like, yeah, no, we're pretty sure they said this. Um, and once <laughs> we found out that they did or did not, and then, you know, part of it is also like, we just, we don't need just another person to tell us how great Mike Mignola is, you know, like that's, it's kind of like a weirdly like a given, like, yeah, that's no problem. Like finding people to sing Mignola's praises is not a problem. What we're also trying to do is, especially after we talked with Mignola is like, all right, well, who fills in the gaps for his story? Like who fills in the gaps for his life? And then that also um, very much informs our decisions of uh, who we want to, um, who we want to chat with, you know? Yeah. And, um, and there are people that are involved, even if you aren't doing them as, as subjects for interviews, you've lined up a bunch of comic book talent, um, you know, like, uh, Fabio Moon, Mike Norton, Tim Sale, Paolo Rivera, you've got this, you know, great compilation of artists who are doing like pinups and posters and, and whatnot. I mm -hmm. just, um, in fact, I literally just got the email before we started recording that um, that there's a new piece of art revealed. So yeah, from uh, Gabriel Ba, the co-creator yes. co of the Umbrella Academy. Yes. Yeah, so if you love the Umbrella Academy like I do, um, you totally would get on board with with what's happening over here with the drawing monsters. Uh, documentary so does the success the financial success so far um what uh, has it shocked you or did you expect like oh we're easily gonna hit a quarter of a million dollars <laughs> no i mean so here's the thing like we we definitely need and this is gonna sound like a funny thing to say but we definitely needed more than fifty eight thousand dollars but we also were like okay at fifty eight thousand dollars we could like get this to the finish line at the bare minimum. You know what I mean? Like it would just, it would still be, it would still be good because we're not looking to deliver a subpar product, but 58 would get us like just enough to finish it. And so what we, what we wanted to do is like, we actually have a pretty robust plan of where this money is going to go. So a lot of people are like, oh, you've now made a bunch of extra money that you're going to pocket. And I'm like, yeah, I wish my brain worked like that. But instead, <laughs> uh, what this More means content. is that, Yeah, pretty much. And that's exactly, that's exactly it. Like, um, I feel like you would look at this amount and be like, okay, what else can we do that's going to make this better? And so we were adding interviews were, and those interviews are significant ones that make a big difference to, to the actual documentary itself. You know, we talked about Mike's early life where he's only got a few photos, but his early life's a big part of his story. And we were like, we want to do this in animation. And we talked about it. And then we're like, now we have the budget to actually do part of his early life in animation or That's to do wild. it in How to recreate, you know, like literally you could hire actors to do like a sixties recreation. I, I can do that now. And that's exciting. And so, you know, we're just trying to figure out what the best use of this money is instead of just lining our pockets, you know? 
Absolutely. And, you know, in a time, you know, hey, this, it it was either going to be the worst timing or the best timing for you. Because with the pandemic, nobody can go to movie theaters or nobody's been wanting to go to movie theaters. Let me put it that Mm way. And they've, you know, Hollywood's had to make big adjustments. They've had to do, hey, let's try this HBO release day instead. And, you know, that's how we saw the the latest Wonder Woman. Um, So, uh, you know, how did this pandemic, you know, from you started this before and, you know, fast forward now, you from 2019 to 21, uh, you decided, yeah, the pandemic's not going to kill this project. Yeah, I mean, during the pandemic, essentially, we just, we used that time to edit a lot of the footage that we already had and to see what gaps were there and both what we needed and how we could finish this and what needed to be done to finish it. And so that's exactly now where we're at here is like, oh, okay. So uh, what we want is to do X, Y, Z. What we need is this. And so um, even though it was a pause because you know we haven't actually like shot any new footage in a year, which is crazy. Cause you know, we're, we're pretty gung ho on it. And then of course like gung ho or not, like, no one's going to like let you into their home while this is happening. And so uh, that, that was definitely one of the big pauses on this project was, you know, like I said, the pandemic. And so we wanted to pivot and say, okay, well, we've just put together a better game plan of a, a, a path forward. And then we're going to, um, we're going to go to Kickstarter and say, Hey, we're going to deliver this in a year because to be perfectly honest, we're probably still not going to be able to film until at least September, if not October, but we've got such a tight plan that once we do the filming, we can go right into editing. We already know where a lot of the things that we want are um, going to line up into the documentary And then hopefully then it's like, I mean, I'm going to still say April of 2022 because that's what we've said. But the goal, to be perfectly honest, is that we could deliver it earlier than that. Um, But it all just depends on the the level of filming we're able to do. Okay. So when we're talking about things like, you know, the sound production, the coloring, like you said, and now, you know, maybe there's going to be animation and, you know, all these other, the, the elements that make up the technical aspects. Um, how are you project managing people at this point? Like, I mean, assuming everybody else is working their, their freelance gigs and their jobs and, and whatever. Um, do you know that the team is going to, you know, be able to consistently work. Um, I mean, it's, it would suck if, you know, if somebody, if you had to change somebody, you know, during the process, but I suppose it's possible. Sure. Um, I mean, I think, and that's the, that's the real answer is that, you know, like you hope for the best and you plan for the worst and, you know, we're, we're doing our best to like, you know, we're surrounding ourselves with professionals and not just, you know, like, 
it would be easy again, like kind of talking about the project, right? Like it's easy to go to like the lowest bidder, but you get what you pay for. And so this, the financial cushion lets us move up not only in quality, but professionalism as well. And so, you know, if someone's like, great, this is your task, this is your timeline, you can feel more confident that that's what's going to get delivered. Um, so there's no guarantees in life. There's no guarantees with anybody. But in general, I would say that's our goal is that we would um, we would hope that everybody that we would hire, like, because there's people we already have on board and there's other people that we're going to need to hire, is that we would vet them properly. We would vet them properly and make sure that like anybody that we're going to do any work with is going to be able to deliver in the time frame that uh, is agreed upon. Okay. And managing a Kickstarter at this level, I mean, you've got like hundreds of comments to go through and <laughs> emails you're probably getting. Um, are are you and Kevin both fielding that or are you taking on an administrator role here? We're splitting the tasks as equally as we can right now, basically. So I I usually, you know, we, we talk almost every single day at this point, um, kind of take the weekend off if possible, but mostly it's a daily conversation. It's just like, all right, you know, I'm going to tackle the comments. Like, you know, can you, can you get this part of the, there's like, here's an interview that we need to do. Like, can you get your questions done? I'm going to get mine done by the end of the day, you know, make deadlines. We have a PR person that we work with um, who uh, we interface with pretty regularly as well. And we're like, Hey, you know, like what needs to be done? He's the person that, you know, uh, places a lot of the news into the different outlets and gets them to, to talk about it, which is, you know, one of the places that where we've gotten uh, such good feedback and a good uh, traction with the project is because he was able to secure some really great exclusives with people. Um, and luckily we had some really cool things to talk about, um, which, you know, it's a, it, it's a, it's an Ouroboros, right? Like, you know, good news right. feeds into other good news, which feeds into other good news. And so, um, it, it just kind of, obviously like the first three days was pretty bananas. And then it's like, Oh, okay, cool. Now it's like chilled out. Like, yeah, it goes up a little bit every day, but we're in the, what is considered week, like the I mean, stretch. Yeah. Huh? yeah. It's only like the second week, right? And right. And so like week two and three is pretty chill. Like, yeah, usually it, it's going to go up a thousand dollars a day or something. And that's awesome. But like, it's just pretty it's pretty mellow. And then near the end, it'll have like an, another little jump. And that's when we've saved a couple of cool stretch goals for and some, some other cool stuff so that people get really excited about it. And so that we can finish off strong. But right now we're in a place where, you know, now's a good time to catch up on like, you know, yeah, we've gotten dozens and dozens of emails and like, we've tried to do our best to answer everything in a pretty timely manner, but you know, no matter what it's uh, it's just a lot. So there you go. So, uh, I mean, we've been, you know, we're thinking about this, this BPRD universe here, this, all this amazing stuff that the Mignola verse has given us, um, you know, a few movies, a few animated movies, in fact, um, 
I'm not sure what the total of the anime. There was one or two. There was the um. Yeah, there's two something. animated ones. The, something about a sword was one of them. Um, yeah, Storm of Swords. Storm of yeah. I mean, really cool. Um, so you have to deal with distribution uh, now that you are officially funded. Um, there's, you know, of course, there's a, like digital download could be easy, but you are rolling out things like. Um, is it like Blu-ray or DVD or something? Yeah, it's a Blu-ray. Blu-ray. So it, are you having that fulfilled um, by a special uh, other party? How are you doing that? Yeah, so, I mean, we're making, like I've contracted with people to make the, um, to make the Blu-ray, to manufacture it. But uh, yeah, we're using White Squirrel, uh, which is a fulfillment oh. company. Yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. And you've got, I mean, there's a big reward there for the portfolio set. Um, Oh, my goodness. So that comes with a ton of stuff. Um, (laughs) So I imagine from like the first days of Kickstarter where people, you know, and some people still get to do this. They get to, you know, like spread out on the dining room table and stuff all the envelopes themselves. (laughs) But um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you've got so much going on here it's amazing um the portfolio set the blu-ray the uh the digital access you can have your name in the credits t-shirt the postcards um it's there's just a lot and i know that as like you said as you've been revealing artists with the milestones that um you know, more are added. I, I was just like perusing through the comments and I saw someone say, I promised myself I wasn't going to get the portfolio set, but now yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh. And, and, and plus like, we're kind of not done. And that's the, the other thing that's exciting. Like, you know, we're trying to really spread out our goals. So like, you know, the last one we did benefited everyone while this one only benefits the people who are at the highest level and the next one will also benefit everybody who's got the blu-ray so we're also trying to spread the love so that it's it's not just um it it's not we're not just catering to the the highest end people we we know that obviously they're there but we're excited to be able to you know, we've got plans and we want to make sure it's as equitable as possible, you know, and most of them are going towards the anybody who's gotten the Blu-ray um, because, you know, we're actually really excited with what we're doing with the Blu-ray and there's a lot of very cool, um, uh, how do I put it? There's a lot of, like there's a lot of cool content, special mm-hmm. features and all this other stuff. And the Blu-ray is the perfect way because, you know, like we sat down with Neil Gaiman for like an hour and he's going to be in the documentary for like five yeah. minutes. Five mi- Yeah, exactly. You know, but he also told three really awesome stories that those stories are worth listening to because they're fun, but they just don't really fit in the documentary. Like it's, here's an awesome story about when he visited the set of Hellboy 2. That's cool. But that doesn't necessarily speak to Mignola or Mignola's story, right? So, like, mm-hmm. yes, that's an awesome story. And it deserves, people deserve to, to, to see it because it's so fun. And if you're a Hellboy fan, 
you're going to enjoy that. But that doesn't fit in the storyline that we're that we're crafting. And so we need a place to put it. And so this Blu-ray has also been a really great opportunity. Like, had we done this, for example, like if Netflix had asked us, hey, can you make a documentary about Mike Mignola? All that extra footage, any of those extra stories wouldn't really have a place to live. Do you know what I mean? And so there's a really kind of an exciting part of doing this Kickstarter direct to the fans is that we can do things like this that are for the fans where people are like, yeah, I just want to hear like a half hour, you know, storytelling session from Neil Gaiman. That's great. Yeah. And um, I I think that's important to bring up because as you said, you're trying to spread, spread the love around, you know, around the, the bonuses. Um, you know, I've talked to Steve Bryan about running Kickstarters. I've talked to plenty of people about running Kickstarters. And there's like this happy medium that where you get the most pledges, um, if you will. So uh, just like, you know, hey, I run a Patreon and, and every week I'm putting out content. It's, you know, just because there's people at the $1 level and there's people at the $20 level, um, it's those one dollar people that stay and you know consistently stay month after month after you know all these years that that's been going so um it, it is important to reward people regardless of the level and mm-hmm. when it comes to kickstarter i know that there's all kinds of number crunching that people have done but there's usually a, a happy medium like i said around the like 20 to 50 dollar range where you find the most backers yeah um and that's you know obviously that's going to be different if you're talking about a a a digital comic then you know we're not talking we're talking about much different numbers then but um this you know what this might be the first film that i've backed (laughs) i think so i think so um but yeah, I mean, I mean if, I'm, if, I'm mostly a comics backer as well, right? Like, the yeah, I mean, we got to support love, our people. I love, I love Kickstarter and I love the comics community. And that's where most of my money goes on Kickstarter is to, um, you know, uh, yeah. to that. And so, yeah, it's, uh, it's super cool um, to, to be able to, again, this is not a typical project for me. And then um, being able to, I put a lot of like, in a way we did look obviously at a lot of film Kickstarters, but we also kind of like really are like, we know at the end of the day, to me, this is like kind of like an elaborate comics Kickstarter. It's just, it's still, it's the same community we're talking to. It's all the same people. And so like, what would be cool and like, you know, comics people like me and everybody else, like they love art and that's, and so we wanted to make sure that like, you know, this whole thing is full of cool new art in different, in many different ways. But while, while we're talking about the, the Blu-ray, um, I remember from my comic shop days um, that there, you know, occasionally would be things like, you know, documentary or, you know, um, things to order through the previews catalog. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, obviously, that's been an issue for ages about the monopoly that that exists. But after the Kickstarter, um, 
how could people that missed it get it? So we've got a website set up uh, and it'll get linked as soon as the, the Kickstarter closes, uh, it'll link to, and it's just mignoladocumentary.com. Um, but that'll be how you can buy the Blu-ray. We wanted to make sure that every single item in the, in the Kickstarter, except for the Blu-ray is exclusive. So people are always like, oh, I missed out on the limited edition because there was like a limited signed Mignola print. And that's that's because he agreed to sign X amount of prints. And that's great. But like every single thing, including the print set, including even the T-shirt, you name it, every single thing in the Kickstarter is exclusive. And so we wanted to make it so that any at any level you back, you're going to get something that you'll never see again, except and we try to make it very clear the only thing that's not exclusive to the Kickstarter is the Blu-ray. So at the, after the end of the, um, after the end of the Kickstarter, you'll be able to um, pre-order uh, or at, at least when it's time. Cause I don't know if I want to set up pre-orders for a year. Uh, Cause I mean, I'm already doing that with the Kickstarter basically, um, right. but it's going to be, Hey, once it's out, you want to buy this Blu-ray, you can just come right here and buy it. And that's, that, that's simple as that. So, uh, so you'll be able to just go to the website or even if you go back to the campaign after it's done, it'll have a link to the website. So we want to make okay. sure that that's you'll cool. be able to buy it. Yeah. Right. So if you don't have the money right now, um, know that at least there'll be a way for you to, to see the, um, you know, the documentary part. Yeah, um, for sure. miss out on all the goodies, but that's all right. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how we feel. We're like, we want to make it special. So we want to give yes. you the incentive to to back it. But if you to can't, back. then you're still going to be able to watch the, the film. And that's, and you that's know, at the end of yeah, the day, that's, that's exactly what we want, you know? Yeah. So do you have a favorite, like, you know, fan interaction with Mignola? Yeah, I mean... When I was younger, I was a fan and I'm not, I am also still a fan, but uh, now we have a a much different relationship. Um, But all I remember is like every time I met him, he was just always so nice to me. Um, And that sticks with you, you know, like when you meet someone and he's, they're they're just good people. Um, So I just remember going to San Diego Comic-Con and this is back again, like, late nineties when the size of San Diego Comic-Con was, you know, 30,000 people, you know, <laughs> yeah, when and it was like, doable. <laughs> yeah. And you could just like, you could walk up and buy tickets at the door. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so even then it was just like, Hey, uh, I really like your stuff. Could I buy this print? Could I whatever? And he would always sign it and just be like as, as pleasant as can be, you know? And so um, I, I just, I've always been thankful that he's because I, I think like, you know, had I had a bunch of negative interactions with him, even though I love his art and everything, I wouldn't be in the same spot as I would, um, you know, and I, I don't right. know that I'd want to make a film about him. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like, why would you? Yeah. You wouldn't dedicate that kind of effort um, to something. So um, as, as we said, we, um, we love comics and stories and storytelling. So what what has you excited these days? Um, so I've actually been, uh, I've been going down a little bit of like a manga rabbit hole. 
um, lately. Uh, so two things that have been keeping me sane during quarantine. One has been, and it's actually hard to name what I've been reading because for like the last four or five years, probably more, I, I'd be going to places like TCAF or VanCAF or any of like, you know, little comic art festivals and buying people's like mini comics and zines and oh you know, yeah like those are whatever, cool right? stuff they stapled you know together yeah. themselves yeah i love it and the thing is i ended up with like when i say like boxes i mean like boxes and boxes of these you know i would just because it was sort of like it's the same way that i feel about kickstarter i'm like i usually back at the pdf level you know what i yeah. mean like because yeah, i I don't really have the space for it, but I want to support something and I can support more projects if I back at the PDF level than if I'm getting like, you know, the hardcover, you know, each time or whatever. Right. And right. so uh, over the past year since the um, since the pandemic started, I basically have been like, OK, I'm going to go through and read every one of these like zines and every one of these like mini comics and all of these like self-published books. And so most of my reading energy has actually been towards that. I read hundreds and hundreds of mini comics and it's like, it's been really awesome. And, you know, like then I'll go follow them on Twitter. You know, if I like the book, you know, go check them out and try to see what else they've got, et cetera, et cetera. And so Outside of that, I got a, uh, I got two for my birthday last September. Uh, so like kind of smack in the middle of the pandemic. I also got, uh, someone gave me a Marvel Unlimited subscription and oh. I also got like a Viz um, for the, the Shonen Jump subscription. And so I started basically like with Shonen Jump. I'm like, cool. I've never read Assassination Classroom. That sounds cool. There's like 17 volumes of it, you know, and it's a complete story. But still, I was like, wow, this is awesome. I'd like, I'd heard about it, but I had never really read it. And for 99 cents a month, I mean, or for, sorry, for a buck 99 a month, it's super worth it. Um, and then, like I said, I got the Marvel Unlimited subscription. So I was just like, I've heard really good things about these new X-Men books with Jonathan Hickman. So, you know, I'm just going to read all of the X books and I, you know, they have like a kind of order to them. So I was just like, cool, I'm just going to read all of these. And so that's a lot of what I've been reading lately. It's just been like a lot of digital, um, which is cool. Like, but I would say that uh, also like I just caught up on like My Hero Academia, which is super good. It's like has that like cool X-Men vibe from the 90s. Um, just lots of lots of stuff like that so that's that's what's on my reading list lately that's cool um i know my it's like i could i could go back and read stuff that i purchased like three years ago and you know even if i read a comic uh, or a couple comics every day it would take me years to actually like get through what's considered my to be red pile um newish stuff that's on my radar stray dogs which um tony fleece trish forster brad simpson um i it's something i will warn people the artwork is 
to die for for adorable but it is not a kid's book even though they are drawn exactly like disney style dogs um (laughs) so just be forewarned do not give stray dogs to your kids unless you're okay with them you know reading about people being killed um and uh i've i'm still reading through destiny new york pat shand was kind enough to give me uh, the the volumes and uh, it is an amazing slice of life type well I shouldn't even say slice of life because it is like a witchy urban fantasy but mm-hmm. um, but it does feel almost like a slice of life comic series in that uh, you know you get to know this group of friends and who dated who and who's breaking up and who's mad and blah 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 so uh, so Destiny New York is going to be uh, re-released through Black Mask which is a great publisher um Mm -hmm. let's see uh oh blood of the taken a fellow patreon uh sean mandrake uh puts out if you like vampires she she does a a cool vampire book called blood of the taken and you know every week she posts the the process of you know her pencils or inks the the colors and stuff and i love that kind of stuff um yeah yeah you know, because it's just, it's really remarkable. Even if, you know, um, like, it, you know that the pencils are rough. Some people are really rough. Some people have really tight pencils. And then, you know, when you finally see something finished, it's just like, holy cow. This is like, you know, it's really brought to life. Um, and so that's pretty much where my reading has been. I've been otherwise cool. reading. Yeah, sounds like a lot of fun stuff. It is. It's it's definitely fun. So Stray Dogs is image. Let's see. Blood of the Taken, like I said, is Patreon. Um, if you want to check out some other things. Um, Radiant Black is from Image. Um, Homesick Pilots. I think that was Image too. Um, but yeah, so um, I will let you get rolling since you are ridiculously busy. Um, this was fun. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much yes. for having me. And just as we are sitting here, I just watched the ticker go up again. You've now hit 262,000. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. You have exactly 22, 22 backers right now. 20, 21 days to go. So get on this. Um, <laughs> uh and will you say whether or not there's going to be, uh, like, is this going to be a, a docu-series? Like, is there going to be somebody after Mike Mignola? Uh, so I can't say that it'll be a series, but our goal is to do more of these. Uh, so okay. whether it's a series or it's a another standalone documentary, I don't know. But um, what, that's that's conversation for the future. But we are excited to do more uh, when when we can okay that sounds good give my best to to kevin and to to kyle should you see him or talk to him yeah we still we still text so and we still see him yeah. when we, like we don't see each other now thanks to the pandemic but we do right. we do chat but i will for sure tell him you said hello oh i miss you guys I miss um, you too. thank you so much you're welcome jim so thank you guys for listening don't forget you can go to kickstarter um, I'm sure if you just type in uh, Mike Mignola or Hellboy, you'll you'll find the Kickstarter um, campaign page. Um, Jim, do you have Twitter or Instagram or anything specific you want people to follow? 
yeah, if you if, if you want to follow me, cool. Like it's just Jim Delmonacos on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to check out more for the documentary, it's Mignola Doc, um, also on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. And you guys can follow me on Instagram at Amber Unmasked. You can go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Amber Unmasked. Um, on Twitter, it's at Elizabeth Amber, just to be confusing. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but stick to Instagram if you really just want to see like cat pictures, because that's mostly what it is. Um, <laughs> so we got to keep ourselves sane and happy. Um, so thank you 